Global pushback against the Chinese Communist Party. Beijing warns U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy not to visit Taiwan. I, I don't think China can tell me where I can go at any time at any place. In Europe, Czech Republic's House Speaker plans to visit Taiwan, too. Back in the U.S., a bill aiming to prevent American reserve oil from getting sold to China. Well, some lawmakers are rooting out forward influence in U.S. schools. And in the Indo-Pacific, alliances with the U.S. are getting stronger. What do you think about the trend? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China warning U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy not to visit Taiwan. Here's how he responded on Wednesday. I, I don't think China can tell me where I can go at any time at any place. The U.S. House Speaker might visit the island in spring. Taiwan is at the middle point in the rising tensions between Beijing and Washington. On Monday, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson said Beijing is opposed to any official exchanges between Taiwan and other countries. She referred to Taiwan as China's Taiwan region in the statement. Taiwan's defense ministry on Wednesday reported 34 Chinese warplanes have been detected around the island within the last 24 hours, the highest number in three weeks. The incursion could be a reaction to McCarthy's plan to visit Taiwan or to the fact that the president-elect of the Czech Republic spoke with Taiwan's president by phone earlier this week. Discussion between Taiwan and other heads of state is a so-called red line for the Chinese Communist Party, something Beijing says is not to be crossed by the international society. But the European country doesn't seem to be backing down. On Wednesday, the Speaker for Czech's lower house of parliament reaffirmed her country's support for Taiwan, given its respect for human rights and democracy. The Czech House Speaker also plans to visit Taiwan in the spring. The president of Taiwan's parliament, Yossi Kun, also responded to the House Speaker's planned trip, calling McCarthy's visit a normal interaction in international society. He described the communist regime's opposition to it as an SOP, standard operating procedure. If Chinese officials don't protest, I don't think they could survive in the communist system. And they can't get promoted either. So just treat their protests as SOP, a general SOP. The parliament had also pointed out that no matter where he goes, Beijing protests. As the U.S. releases reserve oil to counter high fuel prices, China is stocking up. And part of that stockpile comes from the U.S. Now, U.S. senators are introducing a bill to protect the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It would ban the sale of crude oil from the U.S. Reserve to China or any company controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Here are the details. The bipartisan effort is led by Democratic Senator Joe Manchin and Republican Ted Cruz. Manchin says the reserve is meant to help the U.S. and allies through difficult times, not to help the CCP power China's economy. He says the reserve has been used as a policy band-aid for rising gas prices and global unrest caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Eighteen other senators joined Manchin and Cruz in introducing the bill. They include three Democrats, 13 Republicans, and two independents. According to U.S. energy statistics, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was reduced by around 240 million barrels over the last three years. It fell from about 635 million barrels to 388 million, starting in January 2020.
Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he's seen a similar bill that passed in the House. He questioned if other countries like Iran and Russia could be added to the list. Schumer controls the Senate floor schedule. He did not say if he would allow a vote. China, on the other hand, has ignored calls from the U.S. and other countries asking the nation to release oil from its reserves to help lower fuel prices. Instead, Beijing is doing the opposite and growing its stockpile. Satellite images of China's crude oil inventory show a total of around 950 million barrels. Certain U.S. lawmakers are rooting out foreign influence in American schools. Florida Congressman Michael Waltz sent a letter to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on Tuesday. It asks the Pentagon to review Army, Navy and Air Force JROTC programs at private schools nationwide to find out whether the schools are owned by or have taken investments from subsidiaries of foreign companies and if they are to uncover the name of the company. That's after reports revealed certain private schools in the U.S. are owned by Chinese subsidiaries with links to the Chinese Communist Party. Waltz cited multiple examples of affected schools in the letter to Austin. One of them is the Florida Repertory Academy, located in Melbourne, Florida. It's home to an Air Force JROTC program. He wrote that a subsidiary of the China-based New Open Group called New Open USA bought the school in 2017. The company's chairman has been a member of the Chinese Entrepreneurs Association, a Communist Party-sponsored group. The New York Military Academy also made it onto the list. It operates an Army JROTC program. In 2015, the school was sold to the Research Center on Natural Conservation, backed by China's Sofen Holdings for nearly $16 million after it went bankrupt. The company's largest shareholder and former CEO is the chairman of a group the U.S. considers part of China's foreign influence operations. Congressman Waltz voiced concern that students from these programs could hold a sympathetic view of China's political and strategic aims and called Beijing America's greatest adversary. He asked the DOD to send its findings to his office in preparation for the FY24 National Defense Authorization Act. Chinese-owned short video app TikTok facing a new round of targeting in the U.S. A senator is calling on Apple and Google to remove the platform from their app stores. Senator Michael Bennett points to the app's connections to the Chinese Communist Party. Here's what's happening. Bennett shared his concerns in a letter. He wrote that no company subject to the Chinese Communist Party should be allowed broad access to American audiences, nor the ability to harvest their data. Bennett addressed the letter to the CEO of Google's parent company and Apple CEO Tim Cook. He wrote that TikTok's China-based parent company is obliged to assist with state intelligence work. The Democratic senator stands alongside many Republicans seeking to curb TikTok's growing reach in the United States. A victory for Uyghur refugees. Canada's parliament has voted to accept Uyghur refugees that fled China. I declare the motion as amended carried. The Muslim minority group lives in China's western Xinjiang region, or East Turkestan, as the Uyghurs call it. The U.S. says Beijing is committing genocide against them through mass detention and forced sterilization. 
Over a million Uyghurs have been detained in China. Tens of thousands of them have fled the country. Canadian lawmakers voted to pass a motion that would allow Uyghurs to settle in Canada starting in 2024. The motion doesn't require the government to take action. But Canada's migration minister said the nation would do its part in helping those in need of protection. Beijing quickly responded to Canada's action. A spokeswoman urged Canada to refrain from using Xinjiang-related issues for, quote, political manipulation. Washington is securing a deal with its oldest Asian ally, the agreement to give the U.S. a front seat to monitoring China. On Thursday, the Philippines agreed to grant U.S. forces access to four more of the country's military bases. To make sure that not an inch of our nation's territory will be lost and our people's safety and security will be ensured. The U.S. has stepped up efforts to expand its Indo-Pacific security options in recent months. Thursday's deal offers Washington a key bit of real estate to monitor Beijing's aggression, both in the South China Sea and around Taiwan. We discussed concrete actions to address destabilizing activities in the waters surrounding the Philippines, including the West Philippine Sea. And we remain committed to strengthening our mutual capacities to resist armed attack. That our longest partner and ally has been the United States. And as we traverse these uh, rather troubled waters, geopolitical waters, economic waters that we are facing, uh, I again uh, put great importance on that partnership. Increased access to military bases in the Philippines would potentially place U.S. armed forces fewer than 200 miles south of Taiwan. Beijing's communist regime claims the democratically ruled island as part of China's sovereign territory despite never having controlled it. On Thursday, China said the Philippines' move has, quote, escalated tension in the region and accused the U.S. of pursuing a cold war. With the new additions, the U.S. can now access nine Philippine military bases for training, building facilities, fuel storage and military housing, but cannot station a permanent presence there. The Thursday announcement didn't identify which bases would grant the U.S. military new access. The chief of the world's biggest military alliance warned of threats posed by the Chinese communist regime on Wednesday. That was at a panel discussion in Japan. NATO head Jens Stoltenberg says Beijing is substantially building up its military forces without any transparency. That includes nuclear weapons. Here's what he had to say. It is attempting to assert control over the South China Sea and threatening Taiwan. Trying to take control of critical infrastructure, including in NATO countries. Stoltenberg is in Japan to boost ties. He and the Japanese Prime Minister pledged to strengthen relations in a meeting on Tuesday. They agreed if Russia wins in Ukraine, it would send a message to authoritarian regimes around the globe that they can achieve their goals through brute force. Moscow and Beijing are deepening their strategic partnership. The two countries train and operate more together militarily, conducting joint naval and air patrols also in the vicinity of Japan. Their economic cooperation is increasing, and China has not condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Stoltenberg said Beijing is watching the situation in Ukraine closely 
and learning lessons that may influence its future decisions. We will be uh, remiss if we did not expose the challenges that China poses to our security, to our values and to our interests. He says what's happening in Europe today could happen in East Asia tomorrow, referring to Taiwan. That's as China ramps up investments in nuclear weapons and long-range missiles, as other nations question Beijing's transparency. Beijing said on Wednesday that the NATO chief is exaggerating China's threat. Amid China's buildup, the UK and Australia are working together to counter Beijing's aggression. The two countries pledge to further ties with the U.S. UK foreign and defense ministers hosted their Australian counterparts Thursday. Security in the Indo-Pacific region was high on their meeting agenda. British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace voiced concerns about a more unstable global order in the coming decade. He stressed cooperation between both countries, particularly through AUKUS, a strategic defense pact between the U.S., Australia and Britain. This represents one of the giant beacons in that next step. And I look forward to us working together with the United States in that process. The deal promises nuclear-powered submarines for Australia. It also demonstrates the three allies' joint stance against China. This, considering Beijing's aggression in the South China Sea and toward Taiwan, responding to the trilateral agreement, China scoffed at what it called the three nations' Cold War mentality. Prior to their trip to the UK, Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong and Defence Minister Richard Marles wrapped up a similar encounter in Paris with two French ministers. The two sides agreed to deepen relations with Taiwan. According to the joint statement, the ministers reiterated their strong opposition to any coercion or destabilizing actions in the South China Sea. The latest example of an exit ban imposed by Chinese authorities. The wife of a Chinese man living in Florida blocked from returning to him in the state's last August. The man is now reaching out to the U.S. government for help. Here's the latest. Former bookseller Miao Yu says his wife Fang Xie was prevented from boarding a plane in Shanghai last August. He explained Tuesday that she hasn't been allowed to leave China since then. The couple believes three articles, all written under pseudonyms, triggered the ban on leaving the country. They focused on topics like Chinese leader Xi Jinping, Russian President Vladimir Putin, and participants in China's 1989 pro-democracy protest movement. Yu said he had nothing to do with the writing, but the police told his wife that they traced the articles to an IP address associated with Yu. I had nothing to do with these articles. I'm not the author, I'm not the editor. Yu ran one of Shanghai's best-known independent bookstores until 2018. At the time, local authorities prevented his lease renewal. According to Yu, a representative of the Public Security Bureau said his store had received too many sensitive scholars and hosted sensitive talks. The couple moved to America in 2019, where Yu began a master's degree in political science. He said he hasn't been active in politics since going abroad, but added that he's unclear on whether he could safely return to his home country. I'm in a state of constant stress and anxiety, and I don't know when I will be able to hug my wife and when I can go back to my hometown safely and freely. Bans on family members leaving the country are a common tactic used by Chinese authorities, aiming to force dissidents to return to China. Yu said he decided to speak to the media because he hoped it would get the U.S. government's attention. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will travel to China in early February. 
The CCP virus, which causes COVID-19, is still mutating. The U.S. and China are now closely tracking Orthrus, an emerging more transmissible COVID-19 variant. Officially called CH1.1, the Omicron spawn would leave America's most dominant virus called Kraken behind. China reported 24 Orthrus virus cases in the past three months. Chinese officials say there is a risk of reinfection, but insist its population has immunity against it. Orthrus has raised global concern. That's because it carries a mutation that's not usually seen in Omicron, but appeared in the more deadly Delta variant. A U.S. study found Orthrus is also highly resistant to current vaccines. The emerging variant was first detected in India late last year. It's now present in 67 countries. Coming up, has the pandemic changed China? And if it has, how has it impacted people's perspectives? The beginning of change in a society has to begin with people believing that it's possible. They have to believe that change is possible. And the you know, the CCP has wanted people to be convinced that change is impossible. But I think we are seeing just the very beginnings of stirrings that, that there is an opening up of the minds of the people in China to the possibilities. At the International Religious Freedom Summit in Washington, D.C., we sat down with Katrina Lantos-Sweat, president of the Lantos Foundation, for more details. Learn more after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China's white paper movement, its demands for the Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping to step down, plus U.S. Secretary of State Blinken's China visit. How do these issues play off one another on the global scale? We sat down at the International Religious Freedom Summit with Katrina Lantos-Sweat, president of the Lantos Foundation, to learn more. I do think that the situation with COVID in China and the fact that the Chinese government sort of had to climb down from their very extreme zero COVID policy has in some ways opened up the eyes of the Chinese people to the fact that their government is not only, um, you know, not always right, not infallible by any means, but also just has begun to raise that question, are they all powerful? Because the Chinese people have seen that in response to protests and outbreaks and public outrage, that in fact they did need to retrench. So I think, I hope, because I am no fan of the communist dictatorship in China, I hope we will look back and see some of the, the white paper protests and others as the beginning of a turning point. And what we do know is that some of those who have been on the harshest receiving end of China's brutal repression of all forms of, of independent thought and, and independent belief and independent action, um, it has been the minority faith communities or the faith communities in general, whether it's the Falun Gong, whether it's the Tibetan Buddhists, the house church movement, um, 
they have uh, they have real and of course the Uyghurs of course the Uyghurs in um, East Turkestan they have suffered greatly at the hands of the Chinese government but but we may be beginning to see the first the first signs of cracking in that facade of invincibility and infallibility. You mentioned the kind of infallible supreme leader type that we're seeing, yeah. right? And um, Xi Jinping secured his third term yes. last year. How do you think that played into maybe people waking up, for instance, with the white paper movement? It wasn't just about COVID. Some were calling for Xi Jinping to step down or the CCP to step down. How do you see that playing in? Well, I, I think it does play into it. and. It has not turned out as he thought it would. You know, I think Xi Jinping thought this was going to be his moment of triumph where he becomes sort of the, the great emperor in a way um, and the most significant Chinese dictator um, since Mao Zedong. And then to have so many things come together to show that his, his rule was not unquestioned has really cast a bit of a shadow on that. And, you know, the beginning of change in a society has to begin with people believing that it's possible. They have to believe that change is possible. And, the, you know, the CCP has wanted people to be convinced that change is impossible. But I think we are seeing just the very beginnings of stirrings that that there is an opening up of the minds of the people in China to the possibilities. Another thing that I think has been interesting, you know, it's in another part of the world, but, um, but Vladimir Putin and his catastrophic miscalculation um, with the invasion of Ukraine has also, I think, been a bit of a cautionary tale for Xi Jinping. Uh, many people thought and assumed that in a few weeks it would be over, puppet regime would be installed in Ukraine, and uh, Putin would have, as it were, another feather in his cap. And now as we approach the one-year mark of the war in Ukraine, um, Putin is more vulnerable than ever. More people than ever in Russia are questioning his leadership. So I would say to Xi Jinping, beware. Beware. Um, and often pride goeth before the fall, um, as has been written. And, uh, and, you know, there was an awful lot of pride evidenced in that Communist Party Congress where he was, you know, coronated as, uh, to, to his third term. But, um, but I, I'm an optimist about China because the Chinese people are people of extraordinary talent and genius and and dedication and hard work, and they deserve better. And speaking of leaders, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is set to visit China, I think, next week. What would you like to see happen with his visit? Well, I would like to see our Secretary of State push back against wolf warrior diplomacy to make it clear that the United States is strong not only because of our economy and not only because of our military, but because of our values. And that it is our values, it is our grounding in freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, 
and a whole range of very important constitutional protections, legal protections, the right against self-incrimination, the right to a jury of your peers, you know, no double jeopardy, so many things that, above all, is where America's strength comes from. And so I hope that he will certainly, you know, seek progress and you know, you never want your chief diplomat to go only to, to create trouble, but also don't go to only accommodate your hosts. Sometimes you need to, to speak the truth, even when those truths are, are difficult and awkward and uncomfortable in a place like China. So I, I hope for a, a strong representation of American interests, economic interests, military interests, geopolitical interests, but also our strong and abiding interests in advancing the cause of human rights and justice. Katrina Lantaswet, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.